ಸಹನೌನಕ್ತ ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಿಷಾವೈ ಥ್ಯಾಂಕ್ ಯು ನಿತಿನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಥ್ಯಾಂಕ್ ಯು ಟು ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಮುಕುಂದಾನಂದಜಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಜೆ ಕೆ ಯೋಗ್ ಫಾರ್ ಆರ್ಗನೈಸಿಂಗ್ ದಿಸ್ ವಂಡರ್ಫುಲ್ ಗೀತಾ ಸಮಿಟ್ ಆನ್ ದ ಸೇಕ್ರೆಡ್ ಒಕೇಶನ್ ಆಫ್ ದ birthday of the bhagavad gita and if you ask which birthday we say we stop counting after 5000 after that it really doesn't matter because the message of this bhagavad gita is so timeless that we can we can uh, take things from the time that it was composed to now without a break and this is because human beings more or less are the same doesn't matter if you take the ancient human being even if you say cave man cave woman the cave man also had some desires today i will go out and you know catch something in order to feed the family maybe this is what the cave man thought and then the cave man went out hoping to get a big animal to share with uh, with the whole family and one day he was lucky and came came back to the cave with lot of spoils and then another day unlucky could not even get a small squirrel out done by life and dejected feeling rejected alienated and of course when he comes back to the cave the family members are also not very happy so feeling dejected and rejected by all having a sense of alienation and sorrow anxiety this is all human capital this is not something that you know is it it's a modern emotion alienation is not a modern feeling neither is sorrow nor anxiety we dress them up in medical you know terminology we call it depression we call it uh, generalized anxiety disorder we call we call something chronic fatigue this is not you know even though we dress it up in modern lingo medical lingo social lingo it is not this is a time old issue timeless issue and this is where the bhagavad gita comes into the picture because human beings wherever you go are the same and if you look back in time it is still the same and nowadays it's uh, the aspirations have become much more sophisticated and the desires have taken on more and more complicated hues but still it is the same the basic human being to whom the gita's message is addressed is still very much the same 
and therefore it is very pertinent and from the view of the bhagavad gita the we can divide this uh, text into basically giving two messages two kinds of teachings and this was very nicely summed up by the previous speaker swami sadatmananda ji who gave such a uh, uh, wonderful comprehensive eloquent and uh, you know deep uh, introduction to the whole text that it has in fact made my task today very easy much easier because i can just follow up and build up on many of the things that were that have already been addressed by him and other speakers so uh basically the the teaching that is given by the bhagavad gita can be divided into two this follows the the division in the veda also veda also is divided generally into two portions karma portion karma kanda the 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 voice is coming karma portion and then we have gnana portion so the karma portion the portion that deals with karma there are certain actions and there are results and then it is it is basically how we have the the, the karma portion and then we have the portion that deals with knowledge and if you ask what knowledge it is the knowledge of the self it is the knowledge of the self and it is the knowledge of uh, one self as non separate from bhagavan as non separate from the whole jagat as the truth of everything this is what is called the uh, the gnana portion in the uh, in the veda these these two portions are very much there each one the karma portion connects to the gnana portion how because in the beginning one is a a doer one is an actor why is one a doer why is doing so attractive doing is very attractive because one is interested in the in harnessing commandeering the results of action one wants something so karma is for the sake of bhoga no other reason anybody would do anything in order to get something and that something could be something material or it could be something esoteric or it could be something like a fame name some accomplishment or it could be something material i want this particular thing and so i'm going to earn some money and get it it could be uh, you know as basic as that so a human being is a compendium of desires <laughs> this is what we uh, understand from this the karma portion portion of the veda and in the bhagavad gita also addresses the human being who is just a walking encyclopedia of desires that is why the karma portion is huge and the gnana portion is a slim pocket book keno upanishad two pages isha vasya upanishad a page and a half like that it's all very very concise but here is where the purification is needed because these desires are huge 
one more misconception of uh, you know texts such as uh, Vedanta texts such as Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita is that we have to control our desires. Desires and spirituality don't go together because desires are bad and they have to be controlled. They have to be removed. What will happen if we do that? I remove this desire, I remove that desire, I have to remove desire, I have to remove desire. Then you have to, you are stuck with one desire. What is that desire? I have to remove every desire, iti, that desire you are stuck with. And so therefore, this, you know, Bhagavad Gita's contribution to the day-to-day -day life is in desire management, not in desire control. And from the Bhagavad Gita itself, the modern parlance has branched out to other things like anger management. Nobody says anger control. It is anger management. And so too, in the same spirit, it is desire management. The management of the desires called in the Bhagavad Gita, Raga and Dvesha, that is the, the majority of the teaching in order to prepare oneself. And this is just a, this is mimicking the first portion of the Vedas, which is called the Karma portion. Because the person being a walking, talking encyclopedia of wants is not available for any kind of knowledge. If for such a person who wants a car, who wants a color TV or something, you know, so some other thing, whatever one wants, uh, who wants fame, who wants to accomplish, who wants to be the best East or West, who wants all kinds of things. If you start telling the person that you are Bhagavan, you are in the, you are one with Bhagavan, that knowledge will boomerang back to the teacher. And so the Veda understands that so does the Bhagavad Gita. And so we have to approach people where they are, not where you want them to be. That doesn't work at all. So approaching people where they are means taking care of those desires. Channeling those desires is part of the desire management. Channeling those desires into acts of prayer. Because those desires which you can fulfill yourself by your own efforts, that is not what we are talking about at all. We are talking about those desires which you keep trying and trying and striving and striving and meeting disappointment after disappointment after each try. That is where the rub is. That is where the pain is. That is what is most people's day-to-day -day life. Day-to-day -day life is an endless story of missed buses, missed opportunities, you know, and, uh, and uh, one thing to miss the opportunity. But imagine the outrage if that same opportunity, which one thought one was entitled to, is actually gone to somebody else, which one thinks one is not entitled to. So the promotion that I should have received, for example, has gone to the co-worker. <laughs> This is terrible. I am much more qualified. This is where the helplessness comes. When, when one is confronted with things that one cannot control, that is when one takes recourse to the Bhagavad Gita. And that is where the Bhagavad Gita and the uh, Veda after which it is modeled, the first portion of the Veda, 
channels these desires into acts of prayer. Why should we pray? I mean, there is no reason to pray. Life is going on as, as planned, you know, however. So why should I pray? Well, prayer comes basically in the beginning from a sense of helplessness. I pray because all other doors are closing, all other avenues are not there anymore and all other areas, all other situations are extremely difficult. And, and so, therefore, one says, okay, whoever you are who made this world, wherever you are, and this is what I want and I'm not getting what I want. Prayer is a karma. Prayer is an action. And we know full well that every action has a result. An equal result is there. So prayer also has the result. And then what is the result of prayer? To neutralize the karmas that stand in the way of whatever you want. Whether it be the promotion, whether it be a better living situation, whether it be some kind of accomplishments, whatever one is trying to do. It neutralizes the, the, the karmas standing in your way. And what are those karmas? Those karmas are your own karmas. One's own karmas, you know, stand in the way of one's own uh, uh, progress, gati, siddhi, success. And whether we are talking of relative success or uh, absolute success in the form of freedom uh, from, you know, from all longing, which we will come to you know, towards the end, this is, you know, doesn't matter. It's still some kind of success one wants and one finds that one is against a brick wall most of the time. That is why the Bhagavad Gita is very, very, very relevant, especially now, especially in the day-to-day. -day. What is our day-to-day -day life like these days? Most of the time we are staring onto the screen. <laughs> We are, we, we, we are confined more or less to our homes. We are, uh, you know, because of this virus, they call it coronavirus. But I think the name should be changed to coronavirus because actually it has helped to, karuna uh, means compassion. It has helped us as a civilization to grow, to stop running around, to stop in our tracks and to accept that certain things cannot be changed. This is, this is something which is so beautiful. And so this is one's daily life. The, the, even the ashrams, instead of being called guru kulams, have converted themselves into zoom kulams. This is basically what it is. Everywhere we have, uh, you know, we, we, we are staring into screens and in a way it has helped us to grow. In a way, it has helped us to do the things we would have never dreamed of doing, to reach out to people that we would have never uh, reached out to. And so in a way, this is, uh, you know, what can we do in this time? One can rave, one can rant, one can say, I will not wear a mask because I don't want to, but then what? <laughs> you know, then we have to face the consequences of uh, not wearing a mask or whatever it is because one is exposed. Uh, and so, like this, there are, uh, you know, this is some way in which the Bhagavad Gita is, is more relevant today than, you know, than at any other time. 
because the need is extremely great. The need of the hour is so great that there is, uh, you know, there is no other option but to see what it has to tell. So there are some messages which are very relevant uh, and you know we will be just talking about that just briefly. The first one is to understand the concept of prayer and surrender. First coming out of a sense of helplessness, artha bhakti, in a, some, some sense of I don't control anything and I really want this. So it's a prayer that says, give me, give me, give me, give me this, oh Lord, give me this. Bhagavan says, Tathastu. But some prayers people tell me, they are not answered. Well, how come my prayer is not answered? <laughs> well, it is answered. Sometimes the answer is not yet. <laughs> Sometimes the answer is no, go do something else. This one you, you will not have. <laughs> But we are not ready to take no for an answer. So we think the prayer is not answered. So the first message is one of surrender. We are dragged to a place of surrender as this pandemic has shown. Out of sheer helplessness, out of sheer worry and fear of the unknown. And so we, you know, we learn surrender. And on the heels of surrender, the second teaching which of the Bhagavad Gita, which is relevant in the day-to-day -day life, is to accept the things that we cannot change. This is part of what is called even the serenity prayer. Oh Lord, give me the ability, give me the grace to accept the things that I cannot change. To change the things that I can change. Give me the courage. But give me the ability to accept that which cannot be changed. Why can't it be changed? Well, two reasons. The immediate reason is one's own karma. This is that one's own karma is the manifestation of the law of Bhagavan, which includes your karma. That is the second reason. It's a manifest law. It's the law of karma. And so therefore, you are not able to uh, change something. And what other option is there? And we grow slowly. And Bhagavan gives a lot of time, 18 chapters in which to grow, in which to resist, in which to, uh, you know, defy uh, common sense, to slowly come to the understanding and express as Arjuna does in the last chapter, Nashto Mohaha Smritir Labdha. I will do as you say, my delusion has been destroyed. In fact, the Bhagavad Gita doesn't have to be 700 and odd verses. In fact, the whole teaching is summarized in the second chapter itself. It has the entire teaching. It has the way uh, you know, of life. It has lessons in surrender. It has lessons in acceptance. And then it also has the vision of oneself as whole, free, limitless. And this is, you know, this it's all already there. But then there is the third chapter because Arjuna doesn't want to fight the war. He's resisting and he says, if the point is knowledge, why are you putting me to this horrible karma of fighting the war? 
and the same question comes in a new dress in the fifth chapter and then again arjuna says you know at the beginning of the fifth chapter i i just want to renounce tell me what is this what is this what is being a sanyasi tell me about sanyasa then again in the 12th chapter who are more dear to you those who are able to see you as formless and uh, or those who worship you as forms same question again in the 18th chapter same question what is tyaga what is renunciation what is knowledge what is the connection same question that is why the bhagavad gita patiently uh, in in the bhagavad gita lord krishna bhagavan krishna patiently unfolds the teaching which is repeated time and again which is repeated again and again so that it washes away the the non acceptance it washes away the resistance in other words it the, the teaching itself neutralizes all the raga and dvesha suspends them at first and you know uh, in a very ingenious manner and so therefore the uh, the bhagavad gita uh, the the teaching in addition to surrender uh, the, the next teaching is that of acceptance and what is this acceptance acceptance is called in sanskritam as prasada buddhi taking things as prasada and this is there in temples it is there in uh, even in churches when one goes and uh, you know to some uh, catholic church or something some you know something is given uh, they bread and wine they say oh this is not bread and wine this is the body of christ this is the blood of christ it is it is bhagavan and same thing in our temples also one week one is lucky one goes and gets a nice laddu what is laddu a ball of calories okay yeah so one uh, one gets a nice laddu one day and another day it is just some little holy water teertham that's all it is and so therefore this is you know this uh, you don't fight with the priest that oh where is my laddu <laughs> no laddu today <laughs> only some tulasi water <laughs> and that also has come from bhagavan so you touch it to your forehead and you just take it this is what it is this is a metaphor for greeting life this is the metaphor for greeting life because we don't call all the shots in fact as we grow we understand we don't call any of the shots here we are in 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 a jagat which is not of our liking which is not to our liking which is not of our making we are here and then because we have all these one has all these ragas and dveshas desires strong preferences and strong prejudices one doesn't know how to lead life with grace and objectivity so prasada buddhi or glad acceptance is a very important teaching for the day to day life because the day unfolds morning was glorious <laughs> day unfolds according to the law of karma so prarabdha the karma that you have come with is like a suitcase with a combination lock then the key and the combination is with chitragupta bhagavan in the form of the one who unfolds the karma you don't you cannot open and see oh what gift do i have today no the gift will come 
In fact, it may not even be a gift according to you, but you have to learn to see it as a gift. This is Prasada Buddhi. Morning is glorious. Everything went wonderfully. The coffee tasted very nice or the tea. And then I went to work and everything was wonderful. And there you are. Oh, there bad news greeted. Something happened and the co-workers are not cooperating. The boss is siding with the co-workers and all the ideas that one has is not being accepted. And so suddenly the afternoon is not going very well. And this is life. Every day it unfolds in, in this kind of a manner. And so to have this equanimity, to use the words of the Bhagavad Gita, Samatvam requires this, uh, requires the ability to transcend uh, what is happening to oneself. Uh, not to take it personally, but to see it as a, as a law of karma which is the manifestation of Bhagavan. So if there are difficulties in one's life, one learns to welcome these difficulties because more Bhagavan means, more difficulties means more Bhagavan. This is the truth. More difficulties means more Bhagavan. And then one's own reactions to what one doesn't like. This is the second thing that one is forced to contend with. So first I have a challenge. The challenge is I cannot accept what has confronted me, what I see, I do not like at all. Challenge number one. Challenge number two, I have self-hatred because why am I being so reactive? Why can't I do what the Bhagavad Gita and the other uh, uh, source books of the tradition say? Why can't I just accept gladly what is there? This is the second problem. Here too the solution is to look at the Ragadvesha as Bhagavan itself, not as something that given by Bhagavan, Bhagavan itself. As Bhagavan himself says uh, in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, Kamosmi Bharatarshabha, I am in the form of desire. Oh, this is good news. It is Bhagavan in the form of my desire. Yes, <laughs> it is Bhagavan in the form of your desire. Oh, that means I, I can go rob a bank right now because the desire to rob a bank is also Bhagavan. Well, we have to read the fine print. What is the fine print? Dharma aviruddha bhuteshu kamosmi. I am that desire that is manifest in the human beings that is not going against my another Swarupa, which is Dharma, which is righteousness, which is righteous conduct, that is also Bhagavan. So your desire, which is Bhagavan, cannot go against the manifest order of Dharma, which is also Bhagavan. Here is where the beauty is. And your reactions of, oh, I cannot accept this, I'm such an idiot and other people are more spiritually grown than I am. And then therefore I have no other, other people have all grown up. And then I just sit here and groan. That is the, that is my karma. The, that lament is also in a way not outside of Bhagavan. Because here we appreciate Bhagavan as the psychological order. If you say, I am feeling lonely, then that is a very, what should I say, a personal sentiment a personal feeling that is a negative feeling, an oppressive feeling. 
But think about 7 billion plus people in the world, each one saying, I am alienated, I am lonely, I am all alone, help. Then, you know, then you see that, okay, this thing called loneliness, alienation, separation from the whole, it is not something personal that is happening to me. It is a universal manifestation given that there are raga dvesha in every head. Sarvesham buddhav raga dveshav vyavasthitav. In every buddhi, oh Arjuna, raga dvesha is there. But again, read the fine print. Tayor vashamna agachet. Tauhi asya paripanthinav. Please don't come under their spell. For this spiritual seeker, these raga and dveshas, they need to be managed. They need to be managed. And then so the psychological order, appreciating the psychological order becomes very important. As soon as I see that anger is not outside of the law of Bhagavan, given this situation, the anger will come. This is a law. And given this particular background, where the primary caregivers of a particular child became primary caregivers, and then the child grew up to feel all upset, alienated, abandoned, neglected, that is also part of the law. The ability to right this wrong is also part of the law. The ability to not come under the spell of the Raga Dveshas. Also a possibility in the law of Bhagavan, which is Ishvara. This is what it is. So my own mind is a manifestation of Ishvara where there are certain reasons why there is anger, why there is desire, why there are core issues, why there are childhood issues which come and eclipse the way I look at present day situation. There are reasons for that. And when we accept those reasons, that is when the, the step towards the healing, the step towards assimilating the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita begins. So we have surrender. And then what else did we talk about? We talked about acceptance. Acceptance of what cannot be changed. Acceptance of the situation. And then finally, acceptance of one's own reactivity as a law of Bhagavan. And in fact, we should just say manifestation of Bhagavan. It's all the manifestation of Bhagavan. Everywhere is Bhagavan in everything. So one's ability to act is Bhagavan in the form of the law of karma. One's ability to uh, receive the results of action is also Bhagavan. And so therefore, the third teaching that is relevant for our day-to-day -day life, uh, the third teaching of the Bhagavad Gita is to, is to consciously disidentify, consciously begin the process of strategic disidentification from the misapprehension that one is the actor, that one is in charge, that one is in control. Because that does not board very well. <laughs> to be in control is not very uh, nice at all. To be in control is not very, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's not a good position. Why? But I want to be in control. What do you mean to be in control is not a good position? Because you're really not in control. That is why people have control issues because one feels helplessly and completely out of control. 
That is why there are control issues. And the solution here, according to the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita, is to, is to bring in Bhagavan as the proxy actor. You are the karta. You are the one doing this, not me. And Bhagavan tells as much in the 11th chapter uh, to Arjuna. Nimitta matram bhava savya sachin. Oh Arjuna, the one who you think you are ambidextrous, you can shoot off arrows with one hand and the other hand, you don't have a dominant hand like most people. You are, you are so skilled, but still be the instrument, be the instrument, not the, not the agent. You are not the agent of action, you are the instrument. And so in, this is a wonderful teaching because we learn to bring in Bhagavan as the proxy actor. This is something that is there ingrained in childhood in everyone who has grown up in India or grown up with Indian parents. Because, you know, if supposing you praise somebody, oh, you, you, you are such a good musician, oh, they will say. They will be feeling happy inside, no doubt. Oh, you have acknowledged my talent. But they will say, it is Guru's grace. It is God's grace. It is, it is my mother's training. They will acknowledge something other than themselves. This is ingrained in the tradition. This is, this is what is ingrained in our day-to-day -day life. Because seeing oneself as the agent is giving an invitation card to all kinds of troubles. Two examples of the troubles. One is one is wrought with guilt. All kinds of guilt. Why did I do this? Why didn't I do this? How could I have done this? How didn't I do this? I should have known better. Oh no, I messed it up again. So, karta, I, karta is equal to guilty. <laughs> karta means I'm inviting guilt. And if I identify as the karta, I'm inviting one more thing. And what is that one more thing? Hurt. I did so much and nobody is acknowledging. I did so much and it all went to waste. I did so much, nobody even said thank you. So being a karta, identifying as the karta, as, the, as an agent of action is just bad news. Why would I want that? So therefore, it is expedient. It's, 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 it's very expedient to say, Oh Bhagavan, you are the Srishti Karta. You are the maker of the whole universe. In this universe, you have given me this body-mind-sense complex, this ability to, uh, to, uh, to act, this ability to have desires. Lead me, take me, and help me to do whatever is your will. Let my will be in tandem to your will. This is the this is this is basically what the teaching is: is to understand, is to invite Bhagavan. You don't have to invite, but then it is just as though invite Bhagavan to be the actor. Bhagavan is laughing because Bhagavan is already the actor, but still we are saying, you know, I, I renounce the, the concept of doer, doership. You please guide me. So if I am not the agent of action, it then the logically follows that I do not uh, uh, generate the results of action either. The results of action are given to me 
My own karma is gift wrapped, recycled, and given by Ishvara to me to to have and to enjoy. And I have no other go other than enjoying them, other than learning to accept the results of action gladly. Maybe in the beginning it is not gladly. It is say, oh, prasada, one cries. But that's okay. At, as long as we see it as prasada, there is great growth. The, the possibility of growth is there. And, and therefore, when one practices like this, one finds that one is less reactive, more responsive. These are This is the prasada of this, uh, the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, what we can look forward to in, in our everyday. One becomes less reactive, more responsive. There is an inner space between one's emotions and the, and the wisdom that one commands. There is an inner space between the Sakshi, the witness, and the Raga Dveshas, and the, and the uh, recalcitrant and difficult to manage Raga Dveshas, which are jumping in and out, uh, up and down, inside the Antakkarana, inside the mind, heart, etc. There is inner space. There is more relaxation. Because it's all in the hands of Bhagavan, one need not be stressed. So, Bhagavad Gita is a uh, primer for stress-free life. It is just beautiful. And then the, uh, the last thing in terms of the day-to-day uh, -day life teaching is that it makes, it uh, uh, enables one to grow into a person of compassion, kindness and love, which is what one wants. And this brings us in conclusion to the second portion of the Veda, which is Jnana Kanda. And uh, the Jnana Kanda, as I said, is for the mind that is prepared, the mind that is not resistant, the mind that has grown up emotionally. So this teachings of Karma Yoga, glad acceptance and being, you know, one with everything and being able to see Bhagavan in everything, cultivate Bhakti, cultivate Shraddha, cultivate uh, the ability to see Bhagavan even as the form of one's own mad mind is not just for its own sake. Karma Yoga is like a dress that one wears. If somebody is wearing a tuxedo and sitting at home, you, and if you ask them, oh, this is a formal dress, are you going out? No, 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 I'm just staying at home. Then maybe you are having some big event at your house. No, 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 I'm not having any event. I'm in fact eating by myself. Then why are you all dressed up with no place to go? That is the question we would have. It would be a very puzzling situation. So too for the person dressed with the karma yoga, it is, it is for the sake of this knowledge. It is to understand the truth of oneself as this, as, as Bhagavan, uh, as the true, as, as that which pervades the entire universe. I am non-separate from that Bhagavan. The karma yoga is the dress. <laughs> it's the entry ticket to this knowledge. Because it's only in a human body that even one can desire to be more compassionate, that one can desire this freedom from the everyday feeling disturbed, feeling affected, feeling afflicted, feeling personally slighted by the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It is only now that you know that, that one is finally ready to receive this knowledge. 
So therefore, it is only in this human body. Even though I am told, oh Swamiji, you know, cats and dogs are listening to your uh, pravachan because, you know, the, my cat is coming and sitting next to me. Even though people say that, a cat is, the, the, this knowledge is, this, this teaching is not for the cat. The cat is fine. Cat is in the order of Bhagavan. It is not for the cat. The cat is sitting because you are sitting. This knowledge is for you. Why? Because it, only in the human being there is the ability to, to desire moksha, to desire to be free of this daily grind of disappointment, upset, fear and sorrow. And only in the human being is there the ability to receive this knowledge in the buddhi. And only in the human being, that impetus to pursue this knowledge is also there. And what is that impetus? The impetus to pursue this knowledge is, the, is in the form of not liking oneself, feeling alienated from oneself, feeling a sense of self-loath, fear, all this is there. And so it's, 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 a, it's a blessing and a challenge. The blessing is that the human being is free enough to desire moksha and to pursue it. The challenge is that, you know, there is a, you know, there is self-loath and resistance to, to overcome before one can desire this knowledge. So the two portions of the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita, which at the end of the chapter we re, uh, repeat, Iti Srimad Bhagavad Gita Su Upanishad Su, the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita, which is like that of the Upanishads, which is the same as the Upanishad. Brahma Vidya Yam, which is Brahma Vidya, which is the knowledge of oneself as whole, free, limitless, as one with Bhagavan, one with the whole Jagat. And uh, there is nothing other than oneself. One walks in that glory. And that is Brahma Vidya. And then Yoga Shastre. Yoga Shastra, the day-to-day the, the -day know-how of how to be uh, in a non-resistant place in one's life in the everyday. How to be in a place of saying yes rather than no to life and all the opportunities and challenges it brings. These two are very much a package deal. You cannot have moksha without karma yoga. And yes, you can have karma yoga, but if after karma yoga, you don't pursue moksha, it is like being dressed up, all dressed up with no place to go. So I will conclude here and then uh, uh, see if there are any questions, anything that you would like to do that you would like to ask. Om Tat Sat, thank you very much. Thank you, Swaminiji. Um, I am spellbound, you know, hearing, and I'm sure the audience is too, hearing uh, these pearls of wisdom that you stitched together so nicely, like a garland, and explained it so lucidly, so easily, with beautiful analogies. If I were to quote in Hindi, it is like putting a sagar in a gagar, you know, with the limited time that we had. Um, you know, you went, it's, it, I felt it was a beautiful crash course on Bhagavad Gita in the limited time that we had. You started with desire, knowledge, samatvam, prarabd, the prasad buddhi, the instrument agent complex, you know, where we said proxy actor is a god. We need to bring in the godly virtues and the significance of human body and why we need to acquire bhakti and shraddha that we spoke about. 
just loved it. So I had one question, right? You so beautifully explained that we are an encyclopedia of desires. And our life, as it unfolds, through our experience we see, we desire love and we meet rejection. We desire happiness and we experience misery. We desire joy and we see uh, disappointment, you know. So it keeps on unfolding and we keep on falling to the trap of this Raga Dvesha, as you explained so beautifully. So why is it so difficult for us to overcome this default setting, you know, where our mind, even though our experience tells us it is not given, giving us the happiness or the satisfaction that we are seeking, we still keep falling prey to it. So if you can just expound on that a little more. Yeah, in Swami. fact, this is a question that Arjuna also asks in the third chapter, <laughs> you know. So even without desiring, how come the person pursues, you know, person falls into wrongdoing? How come? And so this is, you know, this is, uh, uh, we can just say that the root cause of this is not knowing the glory of the self. Not knowing that I am already what I seek, I am already what I, you know, uh, that which I seek is Bhagavan, that which I seek is freedom from sorrow. I am already everything that I want. So if that is not known, then that morphs into desire. And desire does not let us keep quiet. Desire morphs into action and action into results of action. So you have a loop. You know, these days there is a, uh, you know, there is this trend of, of having family tree. So if we do a family tree for avidya, this is what it would be. So first we would have avidya. This is the matriarch because avidya is feminine. That's why. So she is the matriarch. Then she has a son, kama. Avidya brings kama. The son has now, now avidya has grandson. The son has a, a son because kama brings, puts pressure to act. So from karma we have karma and karma has twins, you know, results of action which are two in number, papa and punya. And then, then after that we have punar janma because the encyclopedia of desires from A to Z, you know, doesn't finish in this life. It is carried over. It is one uh, place, you know, when the body departs, it is one place, the final flight, where you are not charged for your baggage. You say, oh, I have one more suitcase of desire, bring it on, it is free, take it to the next life. So this is why we need these teachings. This is why we need satsang. This is why we need to grow along with others because the problem is alienation. That's why when we see that other people are also studying this, other people are also reading the message of the Bhagavad Gita, there is less alienation. You don't feel so crazy. So this is this is one way to slowly grow together. Thank you so much. I think it sheds a lot of light on this topic. Uh, I have a follow-up question on that as well. So Bhagavad Gita teachings, like you said, it, these are timeless teachings and they have the ability to take us from where we are, not, you know, where we intend to be, right? So it, it paves the entire roadmap like Lord Krishna has, uh, you know, explained throughout. So how would we tell a scientist or people with scientific temperament, especially today's youth, on, you know, to accept the truths of spirituality, like in Bhagavad Gita or Vedanta we have, 
on face value. If you can just explain that, that is a common challenge. I'm be I believe a lot of parents here in Western world they face. You know, so if you can expound a little bit on that. Uh, this you, Nitin, you have asked a very important and a wonderful question, and uh, this is indeed a challenge because one starts to think that uh, that one must make uh, what is spiritual whatever we call a spiritual into something that is scientific that is not those are two different pramanas those are two different means of knowledge science is based on inference and uh, you know the teaching of the bhagavad gita is not based on inference it is its own means of knowledge and when and it is easier to accept inference because it is dependent on pratyaksha another means of knowledge which is the five sense organs which with i see and i hear i taste i pick up smells etc i touch this this is what you know this is the root of all inferences so inference you know if if we could infer that there is ishvara if ishvara becomes the subject matter of inference then then ishvara will become finite because whatever you can objectify whatever you can infer is finite and still one is craving for the infinite so therefore you see you cannot you cannot trap ishvara in a box or in some kind of a category and so the inference is its own means of knowledge science is based on inference so science is its own means of knowledge and this is a means of knowledge the bhagavad gita upanishad is a means of knowledge which gives you that which cannot be had with any other means of knowledge this we have to understand just like eyes are uh, important in gaining the knowledge of forms colors you cannot substitute that this is a fact and so i cannot say oh today i'm having blurry vision so let me see the color of this flower using the ears and put the flower next to the ear nothing will happen neither will i understand what neither will the ears who are think understand what is the color of the flower nor will they understand what flower is it is it in the shape of a rose or a hyacinth nobody will know so therefore what so therefore we have to understand how pramana works each pramana is a king in its own arena and what the bhagavad gita uh, uh, reveals that's why it is a revealed knowledge what it reveals is not human made it is it is a revelation of something we cannot intuit because there is a contradiction between the doer and <laughs> between the knower and the known the knower happens to be the known so therefore the knower has to be knocked off the ahankara as the knower the pramata has to be knocked off in order for this knowledge to take place and that is where the gita excels so in you know in response to your question the point is not to make the gita more scientific but to, to but to give this idea of pramana is to understand and this uh, and to say that gita is not against any other pramana gita upanishad they are not against any other pramana like the eyes cannot fight with the ears or with the tongue there is no fight there they all work independently to bring something to to to, to light each one has its own domain so to the in the knowledge of the eye as the cause of the universe this has to be revealed because the eye cannot be objectified 
the body can is an object yes mind is an object i can observe the mind but the i which is the indweller of the body mind sense complex is all pervasive paramatma bhagavan cannot be objectified so this knowledge has to be revealed we can help with using inference and other things slowly but the point is not to 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 make the bhagavad gita scientific would be a disservice that's so nicely put in this is the first time i'm hearing it that way um, it's remarkable how you are able to explain this very esoteric topic and this often topic that comes up for discussion in such a simple manner it's going to stick with me for a long time and i'm sure with the audience too i think we have time to squeeze in one more question swamini ji um, in your uh, lecture you said corona virus you called it corona virus right you said it basically asked the world to stop running around now this is again a very often asked question that you know god is all powerful and causelessly merciful then why so much of misery in this world that people are grappling with and also in your session you said more difficulty more bhagwan so if you can explain that concept a little more i think this is a very very deep concept that needs to be understood in perspective so if you can please explain that i think that will be really helpful yes you see there is the human being is mishra mishra means a combination of papa punya in fact everybody's last name should be mishra because that is what the human being is combination of papa punya so certain un- unpleasant situations will unfold through the course of the day through the course of the life certain pleasant situations will also unfold the tendency of the human being is to focus on the unpleasant because when the pleasant is when the going is good nobody even questions it one feels entitled to it and one says oh this is part of the the thing but when the going is not good then one says oh bhagwan why are you giving this to me you see <laughs> this is when the person complains laments all these things happen but we have to look at it in perspective this is karma so karma means it will unfold the unpleasant and the pleasant where are they coming from they are coming from one's own life and things that have been done against dharma if one has hurt somebody or made some life difficult for somebody this will it will happen like this in in this life or in the next life so when you take it like this then there is a little bit of an inner space between difficulties and misery difficulties means objective way of looking at it difficulties means i could be too hot i could be too cold i could have some pain in some areas of my body i could have fever i could have uh, weakness i could have some kind of a chronic debilitating disease all this is objective objectively speaking but then when i start to and mesh with that and start asking the question why me why not somebody else why is it happening to me it converts into misery and that is where the rub is that is where you know if we are able to see okay this happens and we can read up nowadays everybody knows google and you can google it up this condition that i have is 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 happening to so many other people i'm not alone already there is relief ha ah, thank god there are 50000 other people with the same condition maybe rare but at least there are a few thousand people with the same condition it takes away that personalizing that internalization which eclipses our knowledge our wisdom 
So therefore, that inner space is extremely important to, to, to cultivate. That inner space itself is Bhagavan and that inner space is the prasada of, of this teaching, of, of these practices of karma yoga, etc. So then the prayer should be, Oh Lord, let there be more of you and less of me in me as me. More of Bhagavan in me means more objectivity, more accommodation, more compassion. Less of me means less of jiva, less of complaints. That is the prayer. So more difficulties, when I convert the difficulties into Bhagavan and the why me recedes into the background. And therefore we change, the, change it into why not me. It had to happen to somebody, why not me? You beautifully summed it up. I think it's a paradigm shift from why me to why not me. Loved it. So I know we are just about on time. Um, you know, I have derived a lot of inspiration from this wonderful uh, lecture of yours. And I'm sure our audience would be thrilled today. Thrilled, I think it's an understatement, I would say. By hearing this amazing and yet, you know, um, how simply you have been able to explain some of the very, very profound and esoteric concepts of Bhagavad Gita for daily living. And I must say that, uh, you know, it, it has been absolute, absolute delight and a honor to have you on our session. And we look forward to more such sessions with you in future. Um, and, uh, you know, so that we can hear more about the practical applications because Bhagavad Gita is normally related as a scripture, you know, rooted in idealism. And I think you shed a lot of light on it, what practical relevance it has, and a lot of tools, you know, wealth of information that you, you know, presented, uh, it, it, it was amazing. I mean, can ex accept our gratitude from the core of our heart from the entire JK Yoga team on this. We wish you the very best for the great service that you are rendering to humanity by disseminating this divine knowledge. And thank you once again so much, Swaminiji. Humble pranams from our side and from JK Yoga's team from for gracing us with your presence in today's session in our JKO Bhagavad Gita Summit. Thank you so much once again for that. Thank you to, to you, Nitin, and for the kind words and to the organizers of this wonderful summit. All I can say, it is Guru's grace. It is Bhagavan's grace. We are just there, you know, we try to go with the flow. Happy to be of service. Thank you again. Om Tatsat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Radhe Radhe.